Christmas time is a time of giving. I, I was with somebody a few weeks ago in our small group. They said they had all their shopping done. And somebody else said, why? It's not even December 24 yet. I, the intensity of the season. Uh, but we give. We give because why? Why did the wise men bring gifts to Jesus? It's simply a reflection of the character of God. We give because God gave first. We love because God loved first. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's a time of giving. And the carols that we sang are all a reflection of the character of God, what he's done at Christmas time. Now, uh, we're going to look at a particular carol right now. All week long, you know, I've been thinking, what, which one do we look at? Is it, is, it, is it Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? Is it I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus? Or the famous one by Al, Weird Al Yankovic, The Night Santa Went Crazy? But I thought, maybe, maybe not. Uh, let's look at so the difference between the, the, all the Christmas songs we hear in the stores, and, and they are fun, Jingle Bells and all of them. The difference is between a, a Christmas song and a Christmas carol is that a Christmas carol has a sacred quality to it. It reminds us of the character of God and what God has done. And so uh, next week, I think it is, we're looking at First Noel. What does Noel mean? Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Eric Helped us under, understand joy to the world. Now, I don't know, did he give you the Isaac Watts version or the Three Dog Night version? <laughs> Today, we're looking at Away in a Manger. When I was a kid, caroling was a popular thing. We'd hear the doorbell or just hear noise outside, and there'd be a group of people at our door singing. And I love to do that sort of thing. So, in fact, it was fun seeing the kids from the high school this morning singing in the, our lobby. Uh, I would go out and join them. We'd go to homes and ring the doorbell, knock on the door. Sometimes they'd invite us in for hot chocolate, but we'd just sing. I, we, when we first moved here, we had one caroler here. It was Pastor Todd and his family. They caroled for us when we first arrived uh, here in this area. But we've never had anybody carol. Maybe you'd do that. I don't know. But uh, we, we'd go out, and I'd, I'd, I'd sing the Christmas carol with everybody else. But like after the first stanza, I didn't know the words at all. Uh, so I would just say, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. It looked like I was, knew what I was saying. Uh, and that's sort of the case with Away in a Manger, too. I know the first part of it, but the last part of it, we just sang it a few moments ago. Maybe you know all the words, maybe you don't. But just in case, let's take a look at the words again. Here, here they are. Away! I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not really going to do that. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the heavens looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my side until morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Isn't it, just even singing it a little while ago, it has such a sweet melody. It's like a, it's like a lullaby. It's like something, something you would sing next to a cradle. And in fact, uh, for many, many years, it was known as Luther's Cradle Hymn or Luther's Cradle Carol, thought to have been written by Martin Luther, the, fa <clears throat> the famous German theologian reformer back in the early 1500s, written for his children. 
And then it was over the years passed on to uh, uh, mothers who would sing the same song to their children. And, and you can see why it was so loved, because it's about the baby Jesus. It's about uh, Jesus watching over the little children. And then, uh, you know, years went by and researchers got into this particular carol and realized it wasn't Martin Luther who wrote this song. Uh, it was actually a guy by the name of Kirkpatrick in the late 1800s, and then a little bit later on it was added to by somebody else. Uh, but research and history, all of that aside, it remains one of the most beloved, one of the most cherished, one of the most special Christmas carols of all. Maybe it's one of yours. Um, and you can see why. You know, it, it, it speaks to the idea of Joseph and Mary uh, finding a special place to, there's no room in the end, but to take care of their baby. And then the humility of the baby Jesus lying in a manger of all places. And that humility theme was carried throughout his life. It, it speaks to uh, Jesus, be near me. It, 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 it it has the prayer, Jesus, make a place for me in heaven with you. So it's a beautiful carol. It's a beautiful prayer. We'll even close the service with it as a prayer. But I have a, I have a question and a concern regarding this particular carol. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the concern at length, but I, have the, I think I have the, the words right here. I didn't want to forget them. So, so the words went like this. Did you hear this? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's how this song goes. Now, here's the question. Do any of you young parents believe for a minute that Jesus didn't cry as a baby? No. In fact, theologians have picked this song apart, saying, look, if Jesus is 100% God, 100% human, then he had to have cried. Okay. So the author of this, the composer of this carol, took some creative liberties. That aside, the concern. The concern would be this, and this is what we're going to develop. Several times in this particular carol, the phrase comes up, the little Lord Jesus. Now, nothing wrong with that. He was little. Um, he's the Lord, and his name is Jesus. That's fine. But so many today have kind of kept Jesus as a baby, still in swaddling clothes, eight pounds, six ounce, golden fleece diaper. We, we, we talk about Jesus at Christmas time. We sing about Jesus at Christmas time. Done. Or we pull Jesus out of a box or out of a bag, and we set him into a nativity scene. Done. And we put them back at the end of Christmas. Done. And that's it. And Jesus has been relegated to the periphery of many people's lives because that's all he is, just a baby we talk about, sing about at Christmas time. The reality is Jesus grew up. He grew up to be a man. And what we're told in God's word is that he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And he went on to absorb your sin and my sin onto himself on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father, we're told in Scripture. And one day will come to judge the quick and the dead. And his watchful eye is over everything and over all of us. 
He was the Lord as a baby. He was the Lord as an adult. He is the Lord today. He will be the Lord forever. Scripture is clear. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, period. Now, this idea of Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, shows up about 740 times in Scripture. Jesus Christ referred to as Lord in some way. That's a lot of times. Here is the very first time it shows up. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. The Lord of the universe has come to live with you. He has written himself into human history, and now it begins. And what I'd like to talk about today with you is Jesus is Lord, but more specifically, is Jesus the Lord of our lives? Now, 740 occurrences, which verses do we look at? We could cobble many verses together and develop this theme, but one passage kept occurring to me as I thought about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, it goes from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about what it means to obey God with a sincere, genuine heart. And at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, these are the, these are the words of Jesus. This is what he says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Lord, Lord. People cry. What's Jesus saying? There's so much there we could unpack. But essentially he's saying... You have the talk, but where's the walk? You can, you can talk the part, but do you walk the part? The other day I was watching t television and a commercial came on and it was featured a football player who made it into the Hall of Fame. And his words were, I didn't make it into the Hall of Fame by being just talk. And it goes on to show how he showed up on the field. And I wonder, in my own life, you know, d d does what I say about Christ match how I walk with Christ. Another word, way to say it is, does the way I live my life suggest Jesus is Lord? Jesus is the Lord of my life. What about you? Or does the way I live my life suggest that maybe Jesus is still just the little Lord Jesus in a manger? Well, Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with some particular words that I think show us, at least it gives a starting point of what it looks like to live as if Jesus is Lord, what it takes. And these are the words. It comes right after what we just read. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Now, the rest of this message, we're going to unpack this, but let me show you the benefit of doing this very thing. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, 
It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now that's the benefit of listening to the teachings of Jesus and following. So, what does it look like for someone to live as if Jesus is Lord of their lives and not as if Jesus is just a baby in a manger? I think there are three things from what we just read. The first one is this. I believe or I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. My teaching, not a horoscope, not other religious teachings, not other religious philosophies. Jesus says, my teaching, mine. Why? Why can Jesus say that? Because he is the Lord. That's why. Lord means supreme ruler or absolute ruler. It's not a word we use very often here in the U.S., is it? But it's a term that's used in England. It's a term that was used back in the days of the Roman Empire. If somebody walked around and said, Jesus is God, be not a problem. But if they said, Jesus is Lord, they'd be done. (laughs) Because Caesar was Lord, absolute ruler. Jesus is so absolute in his ability to rule, he can make anything happen. He can bring even you and me from death to life. He can bring us into the family of God. Maybe you know this verse. It goes like this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be brought into the family of God. You will be forgiven of your sin. Last weekend, I, I, I spoke on this subject at the Sandusky Chapel, and there was a man afterward who came up to see me. He said, can I meet with you? I need, I need this in my life. And so we met on Wednesday. And he said, I, I, I need to be forgiven. I need to know that God loves me. I need to know that I'm forgiven. I'm in his family. And do you know what passage I had him read? The one we just looked at. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He prayed with me right there in the office to to receive that salvation from Jesus. Now, many of us in this room have done that very thing, and that's really good. Now, Now, here's the thing. He also wants to be the Lord of our lives, the ruler of our lives. Do you know this verse? It goes like this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He is the Lord of everything. He is the the Lord of our lives. He wants to be the absolute ruler of each of our lives, the leader of each of our lives. Why? Because he has made us for himself. He knows you. He loves you. And he knows how to help you experience the greatest satisfaction and joy you could possibly experience in your life. And mine too. Jesus doesn't want to be the Lord of our lives only on Sunday mornings, but at every point in our lives, everywhere we go and everything we do. Now, maybe you've heard me use this illustration before, peach and an orange. The Christian life is meant to be a peach. It's not meant to be an orange. You peel and open an orange, and what do you have? You have sections. And sometimes we go through life thinking, Well, God thinks this is important, going to church and prayer and reading the Bible. Those are important, but not my job, not going to the gym, not eating, not 
feel like Santa Claus is walking out with the jingle bells. But God's not concerned about those areas of my life. In other words, these are just sort of sectioned off. You have the, you have the spiritual over here and the secular over here. That's an orange. But we're not called to be oranges as Christians. As Christians, we're called to be peaches. Because God is concerned about every single area of our lives, certainly when we go to church and read our Bibles and when we pray, but every area of our lives, when you go to the gym, when you sleep, when you eat, whatever it may be. Why? Because he's the Lord of the universe, and he wants to be the Lord of our lives, not just sectioned off. Um, this, this is my uh, Bible that I've had for a long time. I've taken it everywhere with me. Um, it has a new cover on it, and for good reason, because I had to get it rebound. About four years ago, pages started falling out of my Bible. And in fact, the entire book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, it fell out, which means for four years, I have no idea how the story ends. <laughs> but, I, but I decided to get it professionally rebound and now I have revelation there and now I can read how it ends and do you know how the story ends where everyone is together honoring Jesus Christ as Lord that's how it'll be someday and uh, it's really very much like what Paul says in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2 he says there there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, that's the, that's the first thing we need to know if we want to live our lives as if Jesus is Lord. But there's a second thing that Jesus tells us. I need to listen to the teachings of Jesus. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, the word listens means to pay attention to, to seek to understand and, and when Jesus says, my teachings, it doesn't mean, like in some of our Bibles, we have red letters that indicate the words of Jesus. It doesn't mean just those red letters. It just doesn't mean looking at the life of Jesus or the stories of Jesus. It means all of God's word. Just as Jesus embraced all of Scripture, we are called to embrace all of Scripture. So, anyone who listens to my teaching, all of the word of God, the question is this. How do we do that? Not just how do we do that, but why do we need to do that? Let me just get super, super practical with you. And forgive me if this is old hat to you, but I think this is important. This is a model that I've thought about for many years in my own spiritual life, and I'll share it with you. It's simply a hand illustration. We are called to read or to listen to God's word. And that's what we're doing right now. We, we sit and we listen to what somebody says about scripture and, and what God has to say. We might, might be through the radio or might be on television, wherever. But it is important to listen, but it's also important to read. Um, if, if I had my first Bible ever that I opened at age 20, I would turn it to 1 John, the little letter of 1 John. <laughs> and, and that's where I first started reading. I try to read as much as I can every morning in the green couch in our front room. I sit on the left-hand side, and that's where I have my private time with God. Do you have a chance to read? Do. 
There's also the idea of study. The difference between study and read is a pencil or a pen. It's so important to be engaged with Scripture, to, to study it, to analyze it. And maybe all you're doing is listening, then try reading. If you're listening and reading, then try studying. Um, I, uh, for years, have tried to be an advocate for a particular Bible. Now, I know there are a lot of different Bibles out there, but sometimes people say, I don't, there's so many Bibles out there. In fact, if you just typed in Bible into Amazon, you would never end looking at all the varieties available to you. There's devotional Bibles and chronological Bibles and women's study Bibles and men's study Bibles and all kinds, uh, just go on and on. But I'm going to tell you my favorite. I don't get any kickbacks from this at all. But this is the one that I've given to people over the years and I've recommended over the years. And I'm thinking, well, Christmas time is coming up. Maybe you don't have a good study Bible. Or maybe you know somebody who could use a good study Bible. In fact, I've had one for years, but because of my eye issues, I had to get a large print one recently. I love it. Not just because it's a study Bible, but also because it's an application study Bible. It shows how to apply this in my life. So, if you were to ask me, what's your favorite Bible? I would say this one. So, we, we listen, we read, we study, but it's also important to memorize. Now, when people hear that, I know I can't memorize. I can't memorize anything. Well, that's not true. If we all, let's all stand up and sing Jingle Bells. We could do it. Or the birthday song, or Joy to the World. We could do it. We know those songs, right? Because it's repetition. Why do we memorize? Because it sinks it deep down into our hearts. And whatever is in our hearts eventually finds its way out in how we live and act. That's why it's important to try memorizing. So if you're listening, great, read. If you're reading, great, study. If you're studying, great, try memorizing. Maybe the most important of all of these is the thumb. The idea of reflecting on what we're learning in God's Word. Is what I'm reading something I should confess? Is there something I should obey? Is there something I should do? And on and on and on. How does it apply to my life? If I were to take my Bible right here and hold it out to you, you could easily take it out of my hand. It's supported just by my four fingers. But as soon as I put that thumb down over the top, Now you can't take that from me. God's word doesn't easily leave our lives if we have been reflecting on it, thinking through, how does this apply to my life? So putting God's word in our hearts, our lives, is really important. Those are some simple ways on how to do it, but why? There are so many different verses we could look at to show why Scripture is so important. Remember, we're talking about Jesus saying, listen to my words. But why? Why should we listen to his words? Well, here's, here's one passage from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Hey, I would like to be prosperous. I would like to be successful. How about you? Now, God gets to define what he means by successful and prosperous. But if, that's God's, if God has a definition, I'm in. Here's another reason. This is from 2 Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us 
uh, to do what is right. God uses us to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Just leave that on the screen for a moment. All of Scripture is inspired by God. It's in Scripture that we understand the character of God. It can help me figure out what is the right path and what is the wrong path to take. It can, make me from, it can keep me from making errors. It can help me make good decisions. It prepares me and equips me to do every good work. Think of the good works you're doing right now. What about marriage? What about parenting? What about handling your finances? What about your job? All of those are good works. God has something to say about all of these things. So the how, the hand, and the why, it's clear. So we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and then we listen to him, but we also need to follow I follow the teachings of Jesus the Lord. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. I was watching a YouTube video recently. There was a guy with a big sword slicing a watermelon, forgetting that behind him was an above-the-ground pool, and his follow-through was tremendous. And he sliced the pool, and the water flooded the backyard, not where the water's supposed to be. Many of us have been camping, and we've made fires and camp rings, fire rings, right? And you don't want somebody taking sticks with fire running through the woods. That's not where the fire belongs. Or maybe you live near the train tracks, and you hear the train at nighttime traveling up and down, and you're glad that the train reminds, remains on the track. Otherwise, it would be a train wreck. The, the water belongs in the pool structure. The fire belongs in the ring. The train belongs in the track. That's where we see the greatest freedom. That's where it's supposed to be. And sometimes as Christians even, we may think oh, God's will is too inconvenient. There's no fun there. I won't be happy there. That's untrue. Because God has made us for himself. He knows us. He loves us. He knows exactly what will bring us the greatest satisfaction and joy. And do you know where that is? It's in the center of his will. It's remaining within the confines of his will. So Jesus says, follow me. Just follow me. At one point, Paul wrote these words. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You don't belong to yourself. We belong to the Lord. Are we honoring God by, by staying within his will? I think for too long in my life, I knew what good principles were for, for my finances. You know, there are four things we can do with our finances. Make money, spend money, save money, give money. I didn't understand generosity for a long time. And then bringing myself into alignment with God's will. That's where you find joy and satisfaction. I think for too long, I, I let myself watch things on television. I had no business watching. It wasn't good for my soul. And eventually brought myself into alignment with God's will. I still struggle in so many areas of my life. It's crazy. But you do too. And, I, and the thing I need to be sensitive to as I look to, for ways to honor God is how is God poking my conscience through his word or through what others are telling me? What does God want me to know about himself? How, can I, how should I be living within his will? Maybe a, a good 
sentence to think through is, since I belong to the Lord, I need to honor the Lord in this way. How is God poking your conscience? Maybe it's related to a relationship, a relationship you shouldn't be in, or in a relationship where it needs to, you have a part to play and you haven't been. Or maybe it's related to sexuality, or maybe it's related to what you're watching on television, or maybe it's related to integrity at work. We could go on and on and on. We're all so different. We're all at different points in our journeys. But I can tell you you'll find the greatest freedom within the ring that God has given you on the tracks that God has given you. Otherwise, it can be a train wreck. And so that's how Jesus is, ends up the Sermon on the Mount. He ends it by saying, look, if you, if you listen to my words and follow them, you'll be like, your life will be like the house built on the rock. When, when, the, when the rain comes, when the floodwaters come, when the wind begins to beat against your house, against your life, you'll stand strong. So, um, here on the, the table, I have a little um, manger scene. This is, if you were to walk in our house, you'd see this little thing. It's just made out, I think it's made out of like balsa wood or something. I mean, I know there's really fancy ones out there. There's, there's uh, with the different, we, we, yadres and other things. Some are made out of wood. I just pulled Jesus out of a bag. He, but he, this morning, I removed Joseph and Mary. There was an angel up here in the roof, um, the cattle and the sheep and the shepherds. But here's little Jesus. I'll put him right here. So here's, here's the little Lord Jesus. We sing about him. We, we pull him out at Christmas time, and we celebrate him, and we should. He's the little Lord Jesus. But Jesus grew up to be a man. And he grew up to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And on the cross, he absorbed your sin and my sin onto himself and rose from the dead. And today he lives, sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day we'll come again to judge the quick and the dead. And he is the Lord over everything. He's the Lord over your life. But he wants to be acknowledged as the Lord of each of our lives.